part-time fanboy. Well, yeah, no, let's let's begin the chat, shall we? Let's begin our interview. Okay. Let's let's start talking, shall we? Yes. Let's begin. All right. Well, the, this is the Part-Time Fanboy Podcast. Let's just say that to begin with. Uh, my name is Christian Horn. I have a very special returning guest by the name of Tim Larson on the line. Um, Tim is the creator and your co-writer now, right? Like, or did you, yeah. you brought on a new writer, correct? Yeah, I had a guy that I found on Facebook who's a really good, he's a better writer than me. Okay. You say <laughs> and, so? Uh, and so I kind of stole some of his talent to, okay. to insert into the story here and there. So I have to give him a byline, of course. Interesting. Yeah, of, of course, of course, of course. Well, we should say that the book is called Mayfield 8. And yeah. I always like to say uh, on the top of the podcast, like why you are here. And it is because you are launching. This is the final Kickstarter, correct? For this for this yes. series. Yes. The final two um, issues, right? Five final and eight. Two issues, uh -huh. uh, five and five and six. Five and six. Oh, yeah. what did I say? Five and eight. What did I say? Well, maybe because the title kind of threw you off. Yeah, I I, I can't count this morning. <laughs> what is wrong with me? It's the holidays, folks. That's what's doing it to me. I know. <laughs> issues five. I started any of the holiday stuff. So. <laughs> issues five and six of Mayfield yes. Eight. Yeah, uh, I said five and eight. That's so funny. Um, I don't even drink alcohol, folks. Uh, anyway, Mayfield Eight issues five and six debuting on Kickstarter, and that's going to be what date? What is it? That's this week, right? The 13th. Yep. The 13th. Okay, so what is that, Tuesday? Yeah. Cool. So this interview will be up one day after you launch oh, that's um, perfect. on the Wednesday. But welcome back, Tim. It's great uh, to have you back on. And I just reread um, part three and four last night because those were the uh, latest issues that I got of Mayfield 8. I always go in for the print issues because I really like your... Um, your print uh, versions of these books. Well, um, me too. I like, I like print over digital. Myself. Yeah, I do too. But, you know, having a podcast where I interview lots of creators, I don't always, I can't always support all the, the print editions because Kickstarter can be a bit pricey, but I really like your editions. I like having it. I like the, you know, in my hands and, and mm -hmm. uh, it's such a fun book that, uh, uh, and it's right up my alley, the, the subject matter or, or the genre I should say, uh, the sort of a grindhouse aspect of it that I really like having the print editions. And uh, yeah, I really just re re-enjoyed rereading it again. So mm -hmm. uh, I would I would definitely recommend this book to anyone who's out there listening, especially if you like stuff like Tarantino stuff or grindhouse movies or 70s movies. Um, why don't you tell the people like what Mayfield 8 is about or what it's been about yeah. so far, if they yeah, don't people know. People are in the podcast right now. They're just getting this podcast. Maybe not have read any of the story. Well, yeah, Mayfield yeah. 8 is a story of a young fry cook named Calvin Ryder who uh, has a motorcycle that his friend's fixing for him. And rather than paying him money 
to uh, get the motorcycle back, he offers him to celebrate his birthday going on a road trip to Mexico. Uh, and all he has to do is um, do a little favor for him to stand watch while he conducts a deal in a back room. Mm. Um, and so he heads out ready to go on this road trip and he's going to meet up with him somewhere. But along the way, he tangles with some bikers yeah. and one of them throws a beer can at him. He gets mad finds a spray paint can and he catches up on his motorcycle with a pack and spray paints him in the face Yeah, and then takes off. Yeah. And at the end of issue one, uh, I know it's kind of spoilery, but it's been a long time. So, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't spoil too much, but at the end of issue one, the place where he, the backroom deal where he has to stand watch is none other than the biker bar. Yeah. That, that all the bikers are converging on. So it's like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. me. <laughs> So then issue two um, is more of that considering uh, the, the goings on. The bar is called the rat hole. Mm-hmm. And then issue three, there's a lot of terrible, terrible things that happen. Uh, the bikers get more angry at Calvin and they're really on the warpath against him. He just scrapes by with, by the skin of his teeth. He meets somebody along the way that helps him. And, um, issues boy i'm getting confused too myself issue four (laughs) we delve a little deeper there's this really mean um sadistic state trooper he makes dirty hair look like a kindergarten teacher yeah um and he basically is the law on the freeway there and he had he's really uh in, in high regard with his superiors but on the other hand he's also like doing coke and yeah he's a scumbag <laughs> committing acts of violence he, yeah he actually tries to rape somebody in one issue yeah 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 so he's a oh, scumbag oh yeah keep this comic book away from the kids yeah 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 well it says for mature readers on the cover for mature, yeah it's, yeah it's, it's and it is way. for mature readers which i very you know i appreciate all kinds of comics um but uh i mean this is very much rooted like i was saying in sort of those uh like old biker like sort of a grindhouse uh maybe lower budget sort of features that uh, I mentioned Quentin Tarantino, but that, that he kind of like used to love, right. Or always kind of like rambles about, correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be that kind of era. And I pepper it with stuff in the story. That's kind of fun. Like I'm, I'm an older guy, so I lived through that time. Uh Uh, There was evil Knievel, the guy who was planning on his snake river Canyon jump in his rocket motorcycle. Yeah. 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 There is the kidnapped rich heiress, Patty Hearst. She's mentioned in there. Yeah. Um, Nixon, President Nixon was on his last days. Uh, Watergate was blowing up in his face so much that uh, he pretty much had to resign. This was like the month that he resigned. So, yeah, the story is peppered with all this stuff. Oh, and I I didn't mention, uh, in addition to the state trooper, you know, there's um, the newly formed. I looked this up in the DEA. If you're a fan of Breaking Bad, the drug uh, enforcement agency. It was just a year old at the time. It started in 1973. Oh, wow. So had Interesting. Kind of, you read the comic so far. So I had this like meeting at the local Holiday Inn in, in Texas, kind of um, wrapping things up. There, there's something awful happened at the Rat Hole Bar, which the DEA was watching. Yeah. And that kind of draws in more elements. Um, there's there's a, a, a kind of a kingpin in prison who's running things out of his jail cell. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to skip around, not to give you the details, but just enough to kind of entice you. The The Kickstarter will be for all six parts. And the, a great deal, now, if you 
don't have a lot of money, but you have a computer, you know, $9 will get you all six parts. Oh, digitally. wow. Really? Yeah. That's a good deal, um, man. Yeah. I'm not want to, you know, uh, I don't want to, 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 to scalp people, um, you know, on that. <laughs> yeah. But, but then the, um, let's see, there's going to be a level with just five and six. Then there'll be a level with, uh, all six issues, hard copy. Yeah. And then after that, there, there aren't too many levels on this Kickstarter. There'll be like five or six. I got to look it up again. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty simple. And then there'll be add-ons at the end. If you say, oh, I don't have issue five. I have everything. No, I don't have issue one. You know, and don't worry. So you'll be able to add it on. Yeah. Yeah. And Kickstarter has that new feature now where you can do. Yeah. Add-ons. Yeah. Where you can add stuff on. Yeah. And yeah. I'm planning on cool stuff. Uh, last time I had a skull ring last year, this year. I'll include that stuff too, but I'm trying to look into getting playing cards. Oh, nice. With the rat hole bar. Nice. Um, you got the coasters I sent in the mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's how you <laughs> that's how you got my attention. I mean, I am on your email list, but, uh, you know, sometimes unless somebody directly contacts me, I'm like, okay, they may not be interested in an interview. Maybe they're just like launching, you know, their thing. But Tim sent me something in the mail and I was like, it, coasters. Uh, and coasters from the series, you know, very much based on, you know, what's going on in the series. And I was like, Tim sent me coasters, so I have to thank him. And so then that's how we got on the like, hey, you want to come back on the podcast? So that's me. That's my stupidity because I look back at the Kickstarter that I've uh, fulfilled last year. And I'm like, oh my God, I promised everybody coasters and I didn't do anything. Oh, (laughs) So it got turned into a, a reminder. So, uh, <laughs> well, a very good reminder, I must say. I'm very much. But well, one of the things back. I wanted to ask you, I mean, you had mentioned, like, uh, you'd said a little bit during the holidays. It's funny because, like, kind of November, December is kind of like when things kind of like, for some reason, October is, and, and September are just this huge explosion of Kickstarters. Like, I'm getting interview requests, like, left and right. And then November and December, things kind of slow down, I think, maybe for obvious reasons. And that's one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you is like, do you have any like hesitate? Did you have any like, are you concerned at all launching something like right in the middle of the holidays, like especially December when when things are gearing up? Are you are you worried about that at all? Well, the only thing is that I got the the goods. I got a really great comic book. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Work, I work a, a, a job in a photo lab during the day and then I work as a package handler at UPS way early in the morning. Oh, wow. California is super expensive to live in. Yeah. Well, those two jobs are very seasonal. <laughs> it's ramping up. So I'm kind of wondering what was the wisdom in uh, launching a Kickstarter personally, you know, like sure, right sure, sure. This while trying to complete the stuff. Um, so it's, yeah, it's coming down to the wire. Luckily I do have the the previous year's Kickstarter. So I'm kind of just go template off of that and yeah. update a few things. So um, I got the video got to make the video today and finish up cover one or cover for number five, cover for number six. Yeah. Incidentally, they all have titles, not just one, two, three, four, five, six. So five is justice mm-hmm. and six is razor wire. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, so, I mean, I'm looking at the cover of issue four and it says let's party. So it's great. Yeah. It's great. But I mean, that is one of the things that you're sort of, what's funny is like lately I've been, I, I don't know, there is this podcast um, uh, that Turner Classic Movies does um, about various uh, points in history. It's called The Plot Thickens, me talking about another podcast, my podcast. But this season, they 
they examine Pam Greer, right? And she's oh. like the queen of like these sort of like, you know, grindhouse black exploitation and, you know, and it goes into like very much I highly recommend it. Um, I listened to the first five episodes and still have to get to the last one. But um, I actually had to call in sick on my job uh, like a couple of weeks ago. And so while I was not feeling well, I actually just did a deep dive into s some 70s movies, stuff like um, Coffee, which I don't think I'd ever seen all the way through, which was excellent. Mm -hmm. And then another movie called Rolling Thunder. Um, oh. which, which was, I had never seen and that William Devane. Yeah. William Devane. And it was really good. Yeah. It was, um, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really good. And, and it was kind of sort of like, I think Paul Schrader, like one of his first like sort of screenplay attempts. And then, uh, this other movie, which I had always wanted to see called Joe, um, which I don't know. Oh, if right. any, yeah. Have you ever seen that I one? I know that one. Yeah, that's I a just good know it from Mad Magazine. It's Archie Bunker's favorite movie. Okay. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense because it's very yeah. much the Archie Bunker <laughs> template in like gone completely wrong. But in any case, the one thing that I noticed while watching these movies again, especially since a lot of them have been sort of like cleaned up for like digital streaming and stuff is and, and I was having a discussion about this with my wife is that they're visually now they're sort of much more easy to digest because it almost looks like, I mean, obviously they kind of look dated in the way that they're shot and the styles and everything, um, you know, and certain yeah. aspects of them, but they're not sort of as grimy as they used to appear like on VHS or, you yeah. know, in some like grindhouse or, or theatrical re-releases that they would do like in film, you know, uh, houses, like here in LA. And it was interesting because I was like, oh, wow, visually these aren't like as, yeah, like I said, like grimy or, or, or like, cause that was one of the things that would put you off. Right. Or put some people mm -hmm. off on them. Not me. I, you know, I, I like a lot of these kind of things, which is why I love your book, but it's interesting to me how much more the story aspect comes through right now that they're mm -hmm. sort of better looking on the screen. Am I making any mm -hmm. sense? Oh yeah. You're making perfect sense. Yeah. yeah I think seventies movies are very visceral yeah. too. That maybe the, the technique, somebody could write an article about that. Um, watching an old movie with the dust, the dust bunnies, the, the hair is getting in the gate. <laughs> yeah. 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 Versus a digital cleaned up version. It's a whole different experience. And you're hearing the clack, 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 the projector behind you, maybe in a cheaper movie house or yeah. Yeah. Uh, the little white circle on the right saying change the reel soon, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah that, that, that's a whole different kind of thing. I was going to say you, you're much more uh, knowledgeable about seventies trivia and culture. For me, I just kind of dip here and there. I, I just know, no movies from their scenes. Like I, I love um, Jack Nicholson and five easy pieces. Oh, sure. Just the, the restaurant scene where yeah. he wants to just have toast. So he's finagling the waitress saying, Okay, give me a chicken sandwich and hold the chicken. Hold the <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like going to kick them out. It's like you see that, and then he just takes his arm, everything on the whole on the booth just boom, just swoops it up. <laughs> you see this, and like that scene, you just go like, yeah, I wish I could do that. Like, yeah. I just, um, and just you know, movies, memorable scenes like that. I guess I could think of a couple if I was sitting down and thought about. It. But like that's to me what the 70s say to me like there's a kind of little scenes where um 
they just they just stick in your mind yeah. from the era. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's one of the things that I really like about your book too is like, I mean, you said like we've said earlier, it's for mature readers, right? But you don't see like a lot of comic book creators. I think these days, I mean, there are crime books, there are you know, um, there, there there's a lot of different types of genres, and all that stuff is kind of exploding. But what I love about Mayfield Eight is sort of just how you like to go for it. You're not worried about the violence. You're not worried about the nudity. You're not worried about like um, anything being offensive. It's funny because we were talking about the 70s and I came across the Jeffersons on Amazon, right? And I was like, oh, wow, the Jeffersons. I haven't watched this in ages. And one of the first things that that pops up is when you watch the Jeffersons. First of all, it's rated TV 18 now. And I was like, what? I was like, oh, why Why is it rated TV? And then I had forgotten how much George Jefferson just tosses the N-word around. Like, he just tosses oh. it around. Like, he's throwing it around like no big deal. And I was like, oh, wow. Things okay. were so much different then. Like, things were like so much like the things that you could say and do on TV. And not saying that the N-word is acceptable in any way, shape, or form, but just you know, that you had a black character just throwing around words like that and like honky. He's like and, David Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, it, it was crazy. I was just like, holy cow. And uh -huh. that's what I really like about Mayfield 8 is not just like, you know, the subject matter too, but your art style really embraces that sort of like gritty and, and I'm not saying it's unattractive because I said like seventies movies, they were kind of a little unattractive, but it's like, it's like grimy. It's very primal and stuff. And that mm -hmm. comes across in your book. Uh, can you speak to that, how that influences like that seventies stuff is influenced, like not only your storytelling, but your visual style. Oh, well, it's kind of like, um, we, on our first interview was it like a, a year and a half ago or more than that. Yeah. Yeah. A while ago. Um, Breaking Bad really influenced me. Oh, it's such a good show. Um, from, a, from the aspect that it's not a cool-looking show. Mm. There's not the, – the main character is not glamorous or, or, or attractive in any way. He's very boring. Yeah. It's kind of a boring city. The backdrop – and yet they find gems in there, um, and they find a story that's really compelling that keeps you on the edge of your seat. So it's it's kind of hidden yeah. inside of this this – this outer shell that looks kind of bland and ho hum, uh, and and that's what kind of drew me to um, writing a story like that, where I'm gonna I'm not gonna have superheroes or superpowers. Um, if somebody gets into a scrape, I don't magically get them, give them like a a super weapon that can solve all their problems. I, I really put it put them through the put them through the mill. Yeah, so you do. Yeah, you do. And um, the funny thing was, is like I, I had the hardest time starting Mayfield Eight because it was going to be this motorcycle road trip. And yeah. <laughs> of course, you know that's cool looking. I'm breaking my own rule by doing that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it, it just was like so stupid. Like let's go. Okay, let's go. And it just sounded so boring. Uh, once I got, uh, how would I start this thing? Uh -huh. So I came across the idea, and this is kind of addressing your um, your question about the writing style. I really gave Calvin my main character, this, this guy, he's got a uh, direction of his own and I let him run the story most of the time for me. Um, in the beginning, his friend Lenny offers him, Hey, I'll, I'll fix up your motorcycle. You don't have to pay for it. In fact, I'll pay you money to celebrate your birthday. We'll go to a Mexican titty bar. 
And um, all you got to do is stand in a back room somewhere and, and just stand watch while I do my thing. Mm. And he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> and slams the door in his face. And I think, oh, that's great. This whole comic book's going to be six pages long. Yeah, yeah. But then, because I did that, uh, at the diner that Calvin's working at, like an hour or two later, the, the payphone rings, and it's Lenny, and Calvin, Calvin counter-offered him with more money or something, and he says, okay, okay, you're fine, whatever you want, just uh, meet me uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. and so-and-so. So by doing that, I, I got the ball rolling with the story that shows Lenny is a little more desperate than he lets on, mm. and that... Um, I, I got to go back to Lenny hanging up the payphone, and then he's stuffing bags of cocaine in Calvin's motorcycle that's still parked outside, and Calvin's not seeing this. He's busy working inside yeah. the, the diner. And then Lenny uh, comes up with, uh, to these um, drug dealer guys, and you go, oh, oh, he must be the courier. So he's handing over this pouch, this bag, with, what was it, eight bags of cocaine? There should have been 10. Okay. Asking, Where's the other two? And so now it's kind of like the story's going. Oh, he's he's working a little on the side. Um, kind of like there's there was a character in Breaking Bad that did that. The guy who was um, always a better call Saul. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah, he's kind of he's skimming a little off the top for himself. And he says, "Well, oh, it's because I had to bribe a state trooper, Gene Sturgeon." So all because Calvin said no, I got Lenny doing a little bit of shit behind his back. Yeah. Like Calvin unknowingly is going to be driving, riding his motorcycle with the cocaine. Yeah. Uh, I got this officer Sturgeon who may or may not exist. Mm. I got the drug dealer Griffin who's angry because he didn't get all 10 bags of cocaine. Yeah. And then he puts his, his, uh, his guy to go after. He suspects Lenny of doing something underhanded. So he sends his guy to go after him. Yeah. All this stuff happened because I just let Calvin go. No. Yeah. <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah. And so I guess for, for writers out there, I don't want to sound you know, big headed or anything, like I know everything, but for me, a, a real big problem solver was to let the story be uneven. Like there's characters who get what they want, but then there's, Another character doesn't get what they want, so they react, which then makes the story – it's like a teeter-totter. It's just like the scales never balance themselves out. Yeah. Um, and so that way, you got something that that really pulsates, that comes to life. Nothing looks fake or contrived. You don't suddenly have conflict, but you, you do have conflict because it's kind of baked in to how uneven the story is. Yeah. You, you look at uh, like classic movies that hold up over time, like Casablanca – um, yeah, you're familiar with that movie. I'm of assuming. course, uh, yeah. I just showed it to <laughs> my what, daughter like several months ago. What she does loved Humphrey it. Bogart? What does Humphrey Bogart do? What does Rick Blaine do in the beginning that makes the whole story uneven? He keeps the letters of transit. Yeah. Now, if he said, "Oh, here you go, fine," then the movie would be like 15 minutes long, and we all yeah. Go home. <laughs> but because he kept the letters of transit, because he's got a grudge about this woman that dumped him, uh, then. The whole tension kind of builds up in in the story. Well, and, yeah, and Rick is not necessarily from the outset like a good guy, right? Like, I mean, no. he does good things, like with the 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 one young woman who's being forced to maybe sleep with, uh, uh, you know, the police officer, and he like the couple that's broke. Yeah, that the couple to... that's broke. Yeah, yeah, really good moment. But it, you know, he pretty much says like in the outset, I only look out for myself. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not looking out for anybody, which is. Yeah. 
the typical male protagonist thing to say in a lot of movies, which is like, yeah, but not really. So, but yeah, no, Casablanca, that's always a good thing to bring up. <laughs> it's yeah. one of my favorites. Um, but I mean, talk yeah, to me. If you're, if oh. you're stumped, you know, you know, make your protagonist a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the things that it, it's funny that you mentioned Breaking Bad because to me, Breaking Bad literally is my favorite TV show of all time. Like, I love Breaking Bad. Uh -huh. And one of the things that I love about it is because it really turned everything on its head because it, it, it takes the main character and it's like anything that a nice person would do or somebody that was kind of decent in any way or anybody that was trying to, yeah, like come out on the good side of things, it goes the exact opposite of that. You know, like Heisenberg, mm -hmm. like he just, he doesn't, it's, it's, it's a study in doing the exact opposite thing that you would expect a protagonist to do. And it's just so well crafted. Like it's so well done. And that's how engaging it is. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen a TV show show a main character who, I mean, you know, you have the Sopranos, you have like other things that are based off of crime, but like that character, like for me was just every time I was watching it, I was like, wow, you're doing the exact opposite thing of like what you would expect a decent person to do yet. It gets you to root for him. Right. Like in a, in no. a way. Yeah. 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 And he doesn't have superpowers. He's not the godfather. Yeah. He, no, he not at all. all. And have six guys come after you. Yeah. Yeah. And yet he's stuck in the middle with other people. We literally can do that. Yeah. So yeah. how does he, uh, he, he has to use his science skills, his wits. Brains. And then look, you say the uneven aspect I was talking about, like, um, his brother-in-law, Hank, uh, just yeah. when the story kind of settles down, uh, Hank is onto something or, or he, he kind of stirs up the shit. And yeah. now there's an, there's something that has to get, uh, dealt with. Otherwise, um, you know, the, the, the trouble will ensue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 You're absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I mean, you kind of mentioned like, it was kind of like hard for you to kind of get started, but you must have a passion for this sort of thing. Like, like the seventies, like the biker stuff and, and, and things like that. Talk to me about like, cause I mean, to keep going with a Kickstarter like this, I mean, you're wrapping it up, you're finishing it up. I mean, it must be very satisfying for you to be like, I'm kind of done with this story, but like, mm -hmm. as we all know, to create something like this and to keep it going, you must have a passion for it. Where did you see sort of your place like in the comic books market, you know, for something like this? Because, I mean, I must say, like, obviously, I've said before, there's other crime books, there's other action books. But this is kind of mm -hmm. like very unique in its like, um, you know, for some reason, the thing that keeps coming up my, in my brain is the, the fight scene at the bar at the Cannonball Run in the Cannonball Run movie, which is not a good movie to like compare this to because that's more of like a kid's, you know, young. But, you know, it's like where they meet the biker gang and they all get into a yeah. big fight and Jackie Chan is, you know, doing his thing. I don't know if that's Cannonball Run 2 or 1. He's in both of them, right? In any case, I'm just saying like for you to have the belief in this story and, and you had said like a little bit, it was hard for you to get writing on it. But like to just keep going, can you talk to me about that aspect? Like, where did you see your place in like the comic books market? Oh, oh, as far as the market goes, I don't really see my place anywhere. I'm just, a you know, another one of those indie guys of hundreds that are out there telling their story. And there's a lot of great stories out there. And sure. I kind of like, I like the indie market in that it's not, 
I mean, you can tell right away the the powers that be, the forces that apply themselves on uh, the big three, or you know, the big two and the and image and um, and dark horse. Like they're, they're marketing um, something that's going that's that's a cash cow, something that's going to make money for them. So you can't diverge too much from essentially what Spider-Man's about or Batman. Um, and so you get great stories, but also you're kind of hampered a little bit by having to stay close to um, close to the the the, the, the storyline, the orthodox part about that. Whereas indie stuff, they can go anywhere. You open up a book about a guy in an independent book, um, and you really don't know what's going to happen to that person. Sure. And that's what I find a little bit refreshing um, that you don't have that reset at the end. Um, I think my book could sit on the shelf with um, someone like Ed Brisson, maybe, or um, uh, I'm looking at uh, Stray Bullets on my shelf. Oh, yeah, like, Stray Bullets. Yeah, it, it could sit right there with a lot of nasty people doing nasty things to each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, so I don't think like my my book, it does fit in certain genres that do exist out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure. But it definitely has this sort of like balls to the wall aspect to it. Right. Like, I mean that, and that's very much, again, I've said it before and, and, and I appreciate it, which is like, that's kind of like one of the things that I appreciate of that seventies era, late sixties, you know, maybe early to mid seventies era of cinema where it's like the studios are falling apart. Right. And everyone's mm -hmm. just like, just let them do what they want to do. You know what? <laughs> like, like let mm -hmm. the filmmakers like, just we're dying here. We can't make any more musicals or whatever, <laughs> you know? And I so, know. so I know. people's attentions are being diverted away. Yeah. To, to the issues. Well, I think about what well, a big seventies movie was a uh, French connection. That kind of, Oh, for sure. That if you talk about breaking bad being an, kind of a boring character, Here's an ugly character, you know, yeah. Popeye Doyle, Gene Hackman. He is definitely not heroic looking. He looks like a everyday schlump. He dresses like a slob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think he changed his clothes more than three times in the whole movie from from beginning to end. <laughs> and and he's just obsessed with nailing the 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 French drug smugglers, right? Yeah. And just to the point where he he just takes somebody's car. <laughs> and smashes it down the road to catch this train and oh, you go oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 how is what world are we living in where yeah. this guy can just go ahead and do this stuff yeah um, yeah yeah but he's just a man possessed him from beginning to end but that to me that has a very strong 70s um grungy uh kind of dirty flavor you can almost smell the movie yeah 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 you know i mean to me it's what's interesting the scene that really sticks out and i think it may be this fourth issue that i have where the cop like beats one of the biker gang guys in jail mm -hmm. like beats the crap out of him and i was just like oh wow it's been a long time i mean obviously we're sort of going through an era where like police brutality is being examined and and, and stuff like that and it's being used for like serious dramatic effect in a lot of media, right? But I was just looking at the comic and reading that segment and I was just like, man, how long has it been since I've seen just a cop just 
beat somebody up like like that in like an action movie. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I I mm-hmm. don't see it, and it's very much part of that unbridled aspect of this. Like I mean, I think in the third issue there is like an extended like lovemaking scene, and I was just like, dude, you're not going to see that on like a Netflix movie. You know what I'm no. saying? And this embraces that sort of era, and it must be cool um, to sort of like have that freedom of storytelling in your book, because I would imagine, like you said, there's a lot of creators out there, you know, they're still making crime. They're still making gritty stuff, but at the same time, they're sort of trying to fit it into a sort of like maybe corporate box. And you don't have that. You don't have that restraining you. And there's this freedom to this book where I was just like, Oh wow. Like, yeah, this is kind of very much what it was like. Can you talk to me about like, I, because for me, it would be intimidating to work like that. Right. Because I would always be like, like, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I just jump into the character and the character doesn't give a fuck about me. Yeah. yeah. You, the character wants to get what he wants done. Yeah. Sturgeon officer, Gene Sturgeon is knows that there's a, a major calamity that happened and he wants to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And uh, the only way he can do it is by questioning the two bikers that got locked up. Yeah. So he plays both good cop, bad cop in the scene. He acts like, well, I can let you guys go, but I got to write up a lot of paperwork. It's just me here alone with you two guys in the cell. Can I do you guys one at a time? Oh, sure. Fine. So he puts the handcuff on him, thinking he's going to get handcuffed to the chair or table or something like that, but he handcuffs him to the prison bars and then... (laughs) just goes to work on him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it, while in the middle of beating him, he's saying like, um, anybody with prior convictions is probably going to go to the County and then spend a month in jail. And just the thought of you guys getting a free meal, a free ride for a month just pisses me off. Yeah. So that, that kind of informs you more about the character as well. Like he's got a, a motive and a reason, a bad motive. Yeah. Um, to, to commit violence. It's not just violence for its own sake, but he kind of, everything kind of falls into alignment with the type of man that he is. Yeah. 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 Well, what's funny is like the, uh, the line as I remember it is I, I hate thinking about taxpayers feeding you guys for 30 days or whatever, but he's yeah. corrupt, right? Like he's a corrupt, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And I was just like, that's yeah. so great because it's such a view into that sort of like, 70s fascist cop like of dirty harry right where it's like it's okay that or like popeye doyle who will who will just like go into the streets and commit carnage without any you know and thinking that he's going to get the criminal but their own behavior is just as out of bounds as the criminals that they're chasing right yeah 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 yeah. yeah, who's the bad guy? It's hard to tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Extreme lengths. Yeah. Well, that's another thing about like your book. I mean, you do have like a protagonist, Calvin, in this book, but at the same time, nobody's really like you know. We're not looking at like Captain America or Superman. There is no like super principled operator in this book. Everyone sort of kind of has an agenda, except for maybe I would say, yeah, like, I mean, maybe a couple of the female characters, but I, you know, even then it, it's kind of like shades of gray, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when you talk about Calvin, I, I like how he's 17, so he's going to make bad choices. No matter yeah. Yeah. What. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, where Slade's the guy he spray paints in the face. And then yeah. I think it's part two. He hasn't, Slade has him in his, his hands around his throat. Yeah. 
and Calvin's trying to say something like, <coughs> and he's going, what the fuck are you saying? Calvin says, uh, you need a breath mint. Oh, he's, he's <laughs> yeah, he's a wise ass. Yeah, bread mint. <laughs> well, not the smartest thing to say. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. How much, um, I mean, one of the things that I, we were talking about the physical aspect of the, you know, the physical copies that you get in your hand. And that was one of the things when I pulled out the the last two issues that I, that I had gotten to reread them, you know, just so I could be refreshed. Um, they're hefty, man. Like they, they are like good sized issues. Like I was like, I pulled them out and I was kind of like, I was reminded, I was like, Hey, there's a good weight on this book. Like it's oh, very yeah. well yeah, put together. You, I got to tell you in the audience about the co-writer. I haven't really talked about that. Much. Okay. Um, it started as, um, a Facebook group of, um, sons of anarchy fans. Mm -hmm. And there was this guy who shared, um, fan fiction stories. There's like a site where, you know, you can write up, you can write your, scenario of anything like captain kirk and spock in his case he oh sure uh two characters from sons of anarchy opie and tara who never had a relationship tara it was with jacks and opie was off by himself mostly uh, but he kind of incorporated the two and i read his stories and they were so gritty and realistic they're to be frank they're a little bit better than the show <laughs> which to me oh, okay comes off as a bit cartoony i'm spoiled because of breaking bad and sure that uh, but anyway, that's beside the point. So I, I approached him and said, how about if you just splice your characters? They'll look exactly like, um, like in my character, it's, it's Gary and Tanya. Yeah. Gary looks just like Ryan Hurst. Tanya just looks like, looks exactly like Maggie Siff. And yet their, and their personalities mirror what their characters in Breaking, in uh, Sons of Anarchy. And I just said, go with it. Just we'll, we'll write in a few stories because the bikers are after Calvin later. Yeah, that's not too much. Of, it's obvious. You know, it's not too spoilery. Yeah. But, uh, and so as a side mission to find out where he lives, uh, that's a task I gave to Robert to write up. And um, he did. He came through with flying colors where um, it's it's Gary. You know, think Opie, but not Opie. It's Gary who goes to a the DMV and shakes down the clerk there and gets Calvin's home address and where he works and, and such. Um, it was a lot of fun putting that stuff in and incorporating a second writer is, is gives you a lot of fresh blood, fresh insights. And you said the books are kind of thick. Well, I also included, um, I'll do this definitely number five, um, but like a prose backstory written in the back yeah. that is in alignment with the story. Uh, like, stuff that was not depicted well in the case of uh part three i actually did illustrate a part of that written story in the following part four yeah but um that's kind of fun you can if you're done reading the comic book you know the read is only like 20 30 40 minutes you know and if you want more you can go in and read the prose story and get a little more insight a little more stuff um i'm planning when mayfield late wraps up in may this year to continue with um the motorcycle club the banshees oh really you know, think, um, th yeah think sons of anarchy but just a little better and, <laughs> well i was i was wondering like where you would this go will be set, this will be set a few years down the road and there's been a shake up in the in the power structure there and there's more there'll be more gary so if you like ryan hurst as opie and the sons of anarchy don't fret you you've got him in uh the banshees mc i think that's the working title so far i have oh nice and it's gonna, mayfield 8 was set in 1974 Banshees will be set in 1976, so just a few years down the road. Oh. And um, 
you know, it's still in the same area like Southwest United States. Will that be a limited series too, or will it be, uh, is that something you want to just keep? It's going to be um, something on Webtoons and on Patreon. Oh, cool. And so there'll be free content on a weekly basis, like a, like a comic strip yeah. idea. Yeah. And then I'll cobble together uh, new pages for an actual comic book. And those will be just like Mayfield 8. Those will be Kickstarters that'll happen probably twice a year. Yeah. You know, yeah. I get on the, get off the schneid and just keep illustrating. Um, and I, th I think that that it'd be a really cool storyline that'll unfold because when you start making something, um, it's hard to walk away because now you've made another thing that can become something, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like one, one thing leads to another. And then, I, I, there's aspects about the Banshees Motorcycle Club. Like, I simply, I don't like Slade at all. Sure. Um, he's pushy, he's arrogant, he's a bully, um, he's mean, he's abusive. And when you read, if you read the next two issues, you will really discover the, the horrific truth about him that he's just has no redeemable aspects at all. Oh, wow. But I did like the Banshees Motorcycle Club. I like the idea and and the um, the characters surrounding that. And I've read a few books about um, like the Hell's Angels with Sonny Barger and some other stories. And it's really a fascinating culture. It's, you know, and everybody, every aspect from uh, the workplace to grade school, elementary school, there's always kids that don't fit in. There's people who don't fit in. Yeah. And in society, it's, you know, um, motorcycle clubs like this that they're just misfits of people who just want to get the hell away from everybody and, and go on runs and and act wild you know get yeah. it out of their system and that's something i kind of want to embrace in in these comic books that they can be this escapist literature that uh that you can read it and kind of follow along with them so that's why it's going to be ongoing so you don't have to wait like six months for one comic book to come out but it'll be oh, nice. a regular thing yeah. That's the cool. thing about webtoons I don't like was the format, you know, the, the vertical scrolling stuff. Yeah. And I like I liked Patreon better because you could throw up images like a like a comic strip, like a horizontal, just like a newspaper uh, four panel strip idea. Yeah. And much to my happiness, I found in webtoons there is an interface they have set up between Patreon and, and webtoons. So I'm gonna explore that a little more where uh the they have links or, or whatever that'll lead you to the Patreon if you wanted to uh, donate a little bit of money and get more content or get unique content. There's that um, there, that funnel that exists. So that was kind of what was holding I was holding the brakes on uh, webtoons originally. Webtoons is fantastic for reaching people. Yeah. Because without much effort, you can have a thousand fans. Yeah. But the format just stinks. It's 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 built for tiny phones where you're scrolling with one finger and I don't want to read comic books that way. Yeah. But but now that it's got a little more Patreon in, uh incorporated with it, I could see myself um with with one toe in webtoons, but mainly it's a Patreon thing, but it'd be a really good way of attracting people. Yeah. So. I mean I, I had thought about webtoons too, because one of the things about webtoons that it seems to me like if you were to build like say a comic book page, you could just break up the panels, right? And then scroll them down. I mean, it's a little mm -hmm. bit more effort, but you could, if you were smart enough about the construction of like, I guess your book, you could make it work in a way, right? I mean, I would mm -hmm. imagine so, correct? 
Yeah, but it's like, uh, Christian, what if you were sitting in a movie theater watching a movie, or if I put you in a box with a door, yeah. and there's a movie going on outside, and I opened and shut the door every every other minute. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you saw like a, a brief flash of the movie, and then I shut the door again. And yeah. That's what Webtoons is to me. It's like, it's not the same experience. You're not, you're not taking in the whole page, and in the peripheral vision, you're not seeing the 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 right side, left side, it's just a little snapshot, snapshot, snapshot. And there's a lot of great artists on Webtoons that can adapt their story to that. Yeah. It's almost like um, like when you're, well, I'm dating myself. When I was a little boy in the 1960s and 70s, they had film strips. Where you'd sit yeah. Down and, <laughs> right? Okay. I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. You hear the bong, you, you flip the thing, and they're all still images. Um, yeah. And to me, Webtoons... If you have a story that lends itself to like like that, it's just a still image, a still image, a still image, and they're all standalone. That medium works well with that. But if it's more of a stew, you know, I'm kind of making a stew. I'm making a a whole uh, uh, a, a storyline that moves in, in time from left to right and up to down. So you lose those dimensions, and you lose that kind of depth. Sure. When, um, now you say cutting up the, the panels. You, yeah, you can do that too. Um, but then they they kind of um, yeah, you can tell you can tell that that something's up. You know, sure. I, I, well, um, it would change the flow, right, of things. But, yeah. But it's interesting to me how many webtoons creators have sort of made the jump to print. Oh and, yeah. I'm not I'm not knocking know. webtoons. It's just that it's a whole different mindset. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot of artists that that really would do well when they embrace that mindset that it's going to be like a, a vertical scrolling down, down, down kind of yeah. experience. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, I don't think I asked you in the last interview, do you, do you ride? Do you have a motorcycle? No, no, <laughs> no. I, boy, I used to be, I used to hang out with gearheads in high school a little bit, Yeah. but it just got to be too expensive. And, okay. Um, no, I'm, I'm totally a, a nerd when it comes to, comic books and, and artwork and well, nerds can ride motorcycles too if you know. they want you but i'm sure you know the, the artist for conan the barbarian probably doesn't um yeah swing a sword with, practice with a sword on the weekend right? yeah for sure for <laughs> that's sure my excuse. Okay. that's funny that's funny yeah i mean one of the things that that really works for me about your book and also kind of lends to the like bit of like retro quality of of the book is your artwork right and you're you're working you're working um traditionally right you're still working on pages with ink and and brush and pen and all that stuff correct yeah half and half oh um, really the, the well the photoshop the color is all photoshop yeah yeah for sure yeah i don't have a set of colors i just have black ink in gotcha. fact if there's a page with a lot of blood say you know spattered I'll just ink it in black and then in Photoshop, you know, flip it from being black to a red ink, red color. Sure. So yeah, it's, that's all done with some trickery in the background. So um, I've never made the leap to doing work on tablets. Um, I don't know why, I guess because I'm kind of on a shoestring budget most of the time. Uh -huh. And also I, I'm kind of leery of anything where I could make a mistake and accidentally wipe out six hours of work. Sure. Sure. <laughs> because, sure. You know, you get caught in the flow, you forget to back up or, um, yeah, I don't know. I used to be that way about Photoshop and I, I really embrace it. I like Photoshop now, mm. uh, 
but it's yeah it's hard it's a I do my own flatting my own coloring um I I hired a flatter for a little while to save some time yeah um uh, but really um yeah it, it's mainly physical not digital gotcha yeah yeah and what sort of brushes or pens do you use like for people who are curious about well, that. I just do I don't use any brushes I just use calligraphy nibs um, oh okay you know, one the, the you know for doing your old school handwriting and oh um, wow so you're dipping in a well and all that stuff oh eyedropper yeah I, I put an eyedropper to the pen so it doesn't get all gunked up oh wow look at yeah you. I start out um let's see okay I'll break down the technique it's kind of interesting let's say I have the pencil page yeah ready for inking okay and I'll do all these circles and ellipses. I'll actually get a piece of string and two thumbtacks if it's a weird one I don't have a template for, like a big motorcycle tire. Uh -huh. Okay. And so all the round circular lines, the arcs, they're uh, inked in uh -huh. with um, with just one of those Pigma technical pens or, yeah, pretty much, because you can't do that with a calligraphy nib. Um, and then... I have a little paper clip I have folded that uh, I can use a calligraphy nib, but it offsets it from a straight edge so it doesn't bleed into the plastic of the straight edge. Oh, wow. And so next step would be to connect all the, do all the straight lines and connect some of the circles. Like say you have a beer can, right? It's easier to draw the circle, the ellipse of the bottom of the beer can, and then the straight lines that connect it than to go straight lines first. So... Uh, so yeah, it's the circles, then the straight lines. Then when all that's out of the way, I do all the thick lines. I got a pen that's kind of worn out yeah. and it tends to do thicker lines. So I okay. do all the thick lines. Um, and then I hold off the fine detail stuff. And then the, then the last pen is the fine detail lines. And then I'll have the pockets of black that are left open. And that's the second to last step. Um, there'll be a, a, one of those calligraphy nibs that has a round tip to it like oh a, really so you're not using brush at all to like fill in your blacks or like do some no, of those thicker lines yeah it's it just you just scrub 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 away and fill in all the blacks oh and br um, no brush pens or anything like that no no oh wow that's fascinating to me i thought you were using a lot of brush because it looks like it looks like especially this cover that you shared to me like you've got like a bunch of hands on the cover right and i thought yeah. maybe the outer lines would have been a brush or a brush pen but you're saying that that's all like no. nibs that's all nibs yeah wow that's impressive you have a lot of patience oh well it goes pretty fast i wouldn't have patience for brushes because they they seem out of control no oh, really yeah no i love brush pens i'm not good with brushes but i never okay. got into nibs i just didn't i don't like the like little scratching that it makes it drives me oh. nuts there's a you know what i'm talking about yeah you got to get used to your your hand movement away from you all the time you can't you can't draw the tip towards you because it'll catch on the paper Is that yeah. What you're saying? yeah i think so or just the the sort of texture of it like as it goes up against the paper and the noise it's just like a really weird thing with me where i've just always been like ah <laughs> you know what i mean i'm always like worried about it and i also no, tend to press hard so like nibs break and or bend and yeah oh, I, i'm bad that way well that's cool it, it's you start out with something that you get used to and it becomes your method that's fine i don't think there's any right or wrong method sure uh making your comic book i mean you can 
dip your tongue in paint and, and paint something with your tongue. <laughs> if you say so, if that yeah. works, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's doing that, Tim. <laughs> that's, that's funny. So, I mean, you're pretty much committed to this biker gang thing for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's more, there's more story to tell. And I didn't mention the guy, Robert Stokes is my co-writer. Okay. Uh, S-T-O-K-E-S. And, and is he going to um, stick with he, you for the he rides? He rides motorcycles. Oh, okay. he does. So oh, okay. There's my, there's my backup. And so <laughs> he had a story. It's kind of um, self-explanatory. It was called death wobble. Oh, um, that's yeah. That's actually in one of your books that you got. Yeah. Maybe you haven't read it yet in the back there. Uh, death wobble. It's like what happens when you have an older motorcycle and uh, something's not quite in alignment. The bearings, the fork or something is not, you're at 80 miles an hour and something's getting a little wonky and yeah. wobbling. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that sounds horrible. Next. That sounds yeah, terrifying. Yeah, no, I will never ride a motorcycle. I had a biking accident when I was a kid oh. and it's just, okay. I will never get on a thing uh, with two wheels that has an engine again. <laughs> never. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, I was on a 10 speed, but like, no, it's oh. not going to happen. <laughs> I'm just, but okay. I understand. I, I totally get you. No, but I mean, I am, that is one of the things of like, the glamour of it, right? Like that is one of the cool things. Like, like I've been on cross country trips, right? Like in a car. Mm -hmm. And you know, mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I love is like seeing the country, you know what I mean? And there is sort of that bit, particularly in the sixties and seventies, there was that sort of like easy rider kind of like romantic mm -hmm. aspect to taking in the countryside while you're on this two wheeled beast. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like Easy Rider is a good example. It's more like a, a long music video than a movie. Uh -huh. If you're in the mood for like '60s era music and beautiful scenery, beautiful landscapes, that, you know that's the movie for you. Sure. Story-wise, it isn't there isn't much going on with Easy Rider. Yeah. Uh, but as far as uh, like one of those um, like a visual montage or a music video, it, it's it's excellent. It, it's yeah. beautiful. It For captures sure. the era really well as well. Sure. Well, I may have asked you this in a previous interview, but what are some of your ba favorite biker films? What are your What are some of the favorites that stick out to you, or do you have like a single favorite? Oh, um, boy! As far as not necessarily biker films, um, like I mentioned, Five Easy Pieces, like the restaurant scene, and. Um, I do. I love Easy Rider, but again, it's got to be something I'm kind of in the mood for. Sure. Um, yeah. I think that um, that there's indie movies kind of influenced me more, and this sounds kind of strange, but as far as a comic book that influenced me the most, I'd say it has still to be Daniel Klaus' uh, Ghost World. Oh, if really? The Red Ghost World, it's potato chips to me because I, I can't open it up. I'll keep reading it and, and not put it down. Interesting. Because... The, the 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 characters uh enid and becky yeah um they just they're so fascinating and okay. their take on the reality around them is so fucking funny yeah <laughs> you just you just want to hang out with them you would just want to keep uh keep experiencing that so that if i can capture that with with characters then i'm golden if i can be as good as that you know that's kind of what i shoot for in terms of the reading experience um there was a actually you you mentioned um biker movies but there was actually was an indie movie a long time ago with who is the director of the iron man movies and oh uh, john favreau years. 
John Favreau. Favreau. Yeah. And Vince Vaughn, they made another, while they're making Swingers and another, they made a movie called uh, Made. Yeah, Made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a scene in that movie where things were going cool, but then Vince Vaughn's character enters the room and, and it's suddenly uncool. You know, people around him go, oh, no, 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 stop. Yeah. And that's when the, the plot, the storyline completely changed, like throwing gasoline on a fire. When sure. the fire was almost out. Sure. And you want the fire out. You know, you're rooting for the characters to get through safely, but then boneheaded <laughs> Vince Vaughn has to come into the room. That's the kind of scene I wanted to have in Mayfield 8. And um, as in the back of my head, I want that kind of a scene like uh, like playing out where things kind of are cool, but uh, suddenly something happens that that twists it and turns it around and then makes it a big, big problem for everybody. Um, and that... I can't really pinpoint in my comic book where that happened, but that's kind of the flavor that 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 exists in the back of my head as as how to keep it um keep it lively and keep it fresh. Sure, sure. Well, the character always stepping into dog shit by accident is a very good. <laughs> it's always a very good way to keep things rolling. Uh, mm -hmm. Let me ask you a couple of final questions. Have you ever tried to sell this like? Not at comic conventions, but like at biker shows and stuff. Like I no, no, I was I was at a con uh, not too long ago. I was at Long Beach. Okay. And um, I don't know. You live close to. Yeah, I did not go to Long Beach this year for okay. some reason. I well, didn't make it over. That. Yeah. Yeah, and so I had to learn my uh, my pitch, not just writing it online. It's a different thing when you're saying it to a person right sure. in front of you. Yeah. But the good news is that these are people who paid money to look around at stuff like yours yeah. and mine. And so I felt a little more comfortable when I started to talk to the third or fourth or fifth person going a few hours into the first day. And it's a huge learning experience where you're, you're connecting with people who want to read a story that's got believable characters. That's got something that's got a lifeblood pulsating through it. And it, it's a really fun kind of way of sharing with people. Now, when you talk about, you know, creating a market for that. That's the way I see it kind of from a grassroots level. Um, I'm not really uh, knowledgeable about the, the larger market. Um, yeah, I was just thinking that you should get to, like, and such. get to some Hell's Angels conventions or biker shows uh, and stuff like that. You, you, I think this thing would clean up at places like that. Oh, maybe, yeah. Oh no, not maybe. I'm I'm acting as your manager now. I'm telling you <laughs> that you should get to a biker convention and sell these. You should look into like the places that you're talking about, like New Mexico or you know Arizona or or even California where we are. You know, there's there's got to be shows for this sort of thing. And then the other thing I think that when you're done, you should definitely find out who like Quentin Tarantino's manager is. Uh, Robert Rodriguez and you should send them packets of this stuff because your coasters got my attention and uh -huh. you know but I think that this is the sort of thing that they would just be like what is this like this is the sort of thing that I haven't been exposed to in a long time like I, I think mm -hmm. that you should you should definitely get on that oh okay I'll try. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely, you know, it is, I am into those sorts of movies. I, I, 
you know, I like, I like that sort of thing when, when I have time to consume it. So, uh, you know, your book is always a pleasure to come across and very much like in that alley of like, yeah, like all the rules are gone. Like we're playing in a totally different sandbox where anything goes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Well, any final words on Mayfield eight, Tim? I mean, well, it, it'll be on, on Kickstarter and yep. search um my name's tim larson yep you can search that or you can search mayfield eight um and go for the latest one there's a i confess there's a few failed kickstarts in the past there but it'll be obvious um you could also type in your computer i have a redirect uh thing my my website's timsnotebook.com uh -huh. so if you type in justice.timsnotebook.com it will direct you right to the Kickstarter. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I find admirable about you is your desire. You, you've sometimes done a Kickstarter and maybe it hasn't fulfilled, but you're like, all right, I'm doing it again. And you fulfill that time. And it's like, whatever yeah. it is that you've figured out, you still have the, I mean, there is a passion behind this book that I also love too, that I think is great about you where you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep going and I'm going to figure out how to do it and it's going to get done. And it's mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I, I really, really like about you and just like about the book that it's like scrappy and it's like kick-ass and it's like not taking names. And I very much enjoy like that about Mayfield eight and about its creator who I have on the line. Uh, yeah. So I would recommend going to Kickstarter searching for Mayfield eight by the time this interview goes up, it's, it's, it's the Kickstarter will be up if everything goes according to plan, which yeah. usually it does, hopefully not like the characters in this book, but, but no. the comic book itself. But again, your name is Tim Larson. It is Mayfield eight. It is up on Kickstarter. Please go support it. Um, I have very much been a fan of this book uh, since the beginning, since before, because Tim actually worked on a project that I was involved in called Baby Badass um, and have very much enjoyed his art since then. And so, yeah, I mean, that's it. Go to Kickstarter, search Mayfield 8, throw your cocaine packets or your, you know, whatever, whatever you want at it to, to give it money. No, do not deal drugs. That's a bad idea, kids. No, uh, <laughs> Part-time fanboy says, don't do drugs, don't deal drugs. It's bad. Uh, but in any case, yeah, this is the Part-Time Fanboy Podcast. My name is Christian Horn. Um, you can check us out on our website, parttimefanboy.com. We are still on Facebook and Instagram, no more Twitter because I abandoned that that uh, garbage dump. But again, you can check us out on our website, parttimefanboy.com. Thank you for listening. Go support Tim Larson on Kickstarter, Mayfield 8. It is a great book and uh, we'll get your juices flowing. Um, we will be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Part-time fanboy.